Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Horsham. This message is by Clive Urquhart. In the body, and uh, he he used the whole analogy of the flotilla, and so so good, and brought it in the way only Dave could bring it. Uh, so if you haven't if you haven't heard that one. Encourage you to go online and, and listen to that because it's actually really, really uh, a, a now message. Um, and speaking about the body, which flows into chapter 13 of Romans, which we're going to look at today, um, and the analogy of the flotilla. And he was saying that um, each, you know, you, you can have lots of boats, and if you're not part of anything, you're just a single boat bobbing about on the water. Um, yet, if you're part of a flotilla, um, there's a responsibility for each boat to be healthy, uh, to be part of what is going on. Uh, but also, the third thing he said was to submit to the plan. So any flotilla is going to have a plan, a direction of travel, a destination they're going to. And it's, it's really important that everybody in that flotilla is all going in the same direction, not bumping into each other. Different shapes and sizes, giftings, graces, anointings. On, each, on our lives, uh, but it takes all of us to get to the destination that God has taken us to. It was a brilliant word. Uh, and there are a lot of Christians at this time that need to hear that and understand that uh, in a fresh way. Um, the enemy's picked off a lot of people over the last couple of years uh, in churches all over the nation. And, uh, and without even realising it, people just gradually kind of a degree off and before you know where you are, you're over here somewhere without even realising it. And, and the enemy's out to, to steal, kill and destroy uh, the body of Christ and to cause a lot of fragmentation at this time. And so what Dave shared was so, so important. And it's not just so that we, you know, turn up somewhere or we're part of something. It's actually part of God's purposes which are going to come out in this, uh, in this chapter, chapter 13. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the whole chapter from the truth version. Uh, it takes about two hours, and, um, <laughs> and then I'm going to preach for about an hour, all right? And uh, I felt God say to me this morning, everybody's going to be praying and fasting today. And uh, so uh, I'm going to read the last few verses of chapter 12, because when Paul wrote this, he didn't have chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, in, like we do in our Bibles. It all One thing just flows into the next. So let's have a read of this from, 17, from chapter 12, 17 onwards. It says, Do not retaliate when anyone offends or hurts you. Dave touched on that last week. Make sure that others can see clearly that you do what is right. And always live at peace with others as far as this is possible. Just before we go on, have you ever noticed, um, especially with the way Paul writes things, that you don't actually need to add to what he's saying? So maybe let's just, let's just read verse 17 again. Do not retaliate when anyone offends or hurts you. We could all go home now. That's the message for this morning. Because what God wants us to do is live it. Do it. So... When we read that, because now you're waiting for some great bit of revelation somewhere, and I haven't got any great revelation this morning, we're just going to read the Bible. Is that okay? Because why God has put his spirit in us is to enable us to live what the word says. 
Because often what we've done in our Western Christianity, we like to go to church, hear a lot of things that are said, give it marks out of 10 when we leave the building. And, and what we just say for the rest of the week, oh, it was a great word, wasn't it? Oh, that was good. I like that bit. Oh, I didn't, you know, we don't say I didn't like that bit, but we say I like that bit. But do we live it? And what God's interested in is whether we live the word and we do the word in that sense. So um, I don't know if you're retaliating towards anybody at the moment on Facebook or Twitter or TikTok or whatever Shaman Albury there is out there online. Um, whatever. What he's saying is do not do it. What does that mean? Forgive then. What does it then say? Make sure that others can see clearly that what you do is right. What does that mean? Behave yourself. This is deep this morning. Verse 18. And we're not going to get through this if we carry on like this. And always live at peace with others as far as this is possible. Wow. That means we're peacemakers, not peacekeepers. See, a peacekeeper doesn't go there in a conversation because you just want to... Most of the time, peacekeeper, there isn't peace there, but we don't want to tread over the line and be a peacemaker where it could be a little bit turbulent, so we'll just keep the peace. We won't say anything. Whereas the Bible says here, always live at peace with others as far as this is possible. So Jesus talked about that in Matthew 5. He's called us to be peacemakers. Now, some of that is with the gospel that we share our lives, share our faith and share Jesus with people because people need to make peace with God. And therefore, we are peacemakers when we take the gospel to other people. And yes, there'll be a bit of turbulence because sometimes people don't like it. And, but it's not because, hopefully, the way we're saying something is because the gospel itself causes some turbulence in people's lives because it challenges the status quo of what is going on in them. Uh, but we're called to be peacemakers, but also in our relationships in that way. So I don't know if you've got a list of things you're jotting down this morning. You might have to do after today. 19, there's no point in taking revenge. You are to forgive my friends, not judge others. That is God's prerogative. He's the one that deals with people. He's the only one who can judge, punish and demonstrate anger, as he himself has told us. He also tells us to feed our enemies if they are hungry, to give them something to drink when they are thirsty. For in giving to them when they uh, least deserve it, you will bring them under conviction of their sin. I was thinking about this. So God enables crops to grow, trees to bear fruit, that feeds the world. But many people in the world don't like God. Many people are enemies of God, if you like. And some people even say that. I'm an enemy of God. I don't, I don't believe in him, don't like him, don't believe in him, but you're an enemy of God. Doesn't make sense. How can you not believe in him, but say you're an enemy of God? Anyway, oxymoron on that one. So, but yet God provides food for everyone. And the Bible says here, If your enemy is hungry, give him food. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. God is constantly demonstrating his mercy and his love to a world that doesn't acknowledge him, that doesn't love him, doesn't want to know him. 
But yet he's like, no, I'm still going to provide. I'm still going to provide because that's my nature. That's my nature. That's who I am. And, and in here, there's, there's stuff for us. Never let evil have the upper hand in your life. Rather let goodness defeat evil. Then he flows into this next because the context in which he's writing, the Romans are the ruling authority at the time when he writes this. And he's challenging, you know, don't retaliate if you get offended. Uh, feed those who, who are against you, your enemies. Don't live how the culture says to live. Don't just follow the trends of how everybody is. Uh, live a kingdom life on earth. That's, that's an opposite spirit to what is around you. Then in chapter 13, or what we know is 13, it goes into this. He carries on. It is necessary for you to have a right and submissive attitude to those in authority, including those in civic government. For all authority originates from the Lord, who is the ultimate authority. God himself has put these governing authorities in place. Now, we've had an interest in six, eight, ten months as a nation, haven't we? Politically, different leaders and a lot of stuff's come out of whether you call them lies or bad behaviour or mistrust and everything else that, that is, is going on. But yet the word says here we, sub, we are su to submit to civic government, to those in authority over us. Now, our first place of submission is to the Lord, right? But also, by and large, our government are here to keep law and order, to keep our nation at least in a civil way, um, you know. And, and we know speed limits are there for a reason. Law and order is there for a reason. Um, and <clears throat> paying taxes, it will come to, is there for a reason. Uh, and all this stuff. And so in one sense, Paul actually in this context here is not writing to, in the, into the context where, because at this stage, the Romans weren't killing Christians and putting them to death, okay, at this point. Um, that, this, that comes about 20 years after he, he writes the book of Romans. So he is writing into a context where the Romans are in charge and in one sense, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of taken over. They're pretty harsh on one level, but they're not, they're not persecuting Christians. A lot of what they do, they're keeping law and order. They've just invaded because they want to take over in that sense. And so in our nation, we want to honour those who are in government, whether local or national. We want to pray for them. It's easy to bad mouth people. Bad mouthing some, someone doesn't change anything. But bringing something to the Lord does change things. Jane and I have just been away for a few days uh, with some other leaders from around the country, uh, an event that care uh, have been running for church leaders. It was like a round table event, lots of discussion basically about a lot of stuff going on in the nation. How does the church, how are we according to the word, according to what Jesus commanded us and everything else, how, how are we to engage with what is going on in our nation? How do we engage with government, uh, how, both local and national? How, what does it look like you know, in terms of the, the church having a voice but also the church actively doing stuff in that way. And CARE, if you don't know who they are, uh, CARE stands for Christian Action um, Research and Education. And they're doing amazing work. They, they work a lot behind the scenes. They're not a big public organisation. And <clears throat> they're working in Parliament, in the whole political realm and sphere. 
There's a lot of Christians uh, that are working in different ways up in Parliament and around that, civil servants. And I'm going to read something out of a book that they've, they've read in, in a minute. But one of the things that came across is, is working in the midst of that, it would be very, very easy to be judgmental about a lot of what's going on in there. Their heart for, no matter who's in power, their heart for people was amazing, wasn't it? And, and what they're doing. And we, we need to pray for those in authority over us. Just changing laws to be more what we would call Christian won't change a nation. So we just need to understand that. If we sometimes think if there were more Christian laws, our nation would be a better nation or laws that line up with the Bible. Well, unless the hearts of people change, things don't change. There's only change in a situation where someone changes. So we can't change the things around us without people changing. Are you with me? And... So the government do what they do. The church is called to be and do what it does. Now, some of that is people who are believers are called to be in politics in different ways, whether they're frontline MPs, politicians in that way, or civil servants, or those that work with MPs, or local government, whatever it is. Christians are called to be in there as salt and light. There is legislation in our nation over the last few decades that has not come into being because Christians have been working in there and legislation has been turned or changed or uh, edited and certain things are not law in our nation because believers have been working in there. There are a lot of things that have happened that we don't agree with and we need to continue to pray. But what Paul is writing here is, look, there are governing authorities and you need to honour them, you need to respect them and we need to pray for them. How we do that is praying for them and we also live as law-abiding citizens in that sense, okay? We're not going to read through all of this, um, but I'm just going to read something that then links into the the next part of of, um, the chapter, okay? What I would say, though, is... You know, our faith is not in politics. Our faith is in God, right? And if we have been negative, critical, judgmental about whoever's in government, whoever's doing what, whoever role, whatever role they're playing, whether we agree with it or not, our opinions don't change anything. You can rant and rave all you want to someone else. That's not going to change anything. All all you're going to do is sow the same attitude in someone else. So what we're to do is to pray together. We say, okay, Father, how do we pray for Rishi Sunak? How do we pray for the cabinet? How do we pray for the government? How do we pray for the opposition? How do we pray for those that are in authority? Father, I want your heart for them because you have allowed them to be in power at this time, whatever they're doing, and we want to pray for them and pray for those who work in government in politics, in different ways. It is a call, like it is in lots of areas of life, to be in, in, those, um, in those spheres of, of life. And we all know where we are today is not where we want our nation to be, right? So I want to read just something from this book that Care have, have released. It's called Turning the Tide. Uh, and 
which is a phrase that we've got ourselves in our own vision statement. But anyway, um, it says here, this care grew out of um, an event that happened in 1971 called the National Festival of Light. I don't know if anybody in here is aware of that, remembers it, or was even there. Anybody? Somebody remember it? Mum, you were there with Dad, right? Yeah. I think, well, I know he was there, so you were probably there. So, um, <laughs> National Festival of Light. What was that? It was 100,000 Christians from around the UK that went to, Traf to Trafalgar Square and then went to Hyde Park and had a big sort of event in Hyde Park uh, to basically say to the, the government and the nation, because of what was going on throughout the 50s actually, not just the 60s, but the last part of the 50s into the 60s, and uh, with a lot of legislation that was, was changed and brought in during that time. And it was the church kind of going out there publicly saying, hey, um, we've forgotten Jesus. We've forgotten who God is in so many words. And it was called Festival of the Light because they were saying there's so much darkness that's kind of developing in our nation. We need to say, hey, there is light, there is hope, there is another way. And I just want to read this little paragraph here for a moment because it links into the second half of the chapter. Uh, so, so Lyndon Bowring is, um, was one of the founders of CARE. What, what, so this event in 1971, over the next few years, morphed into what is now CARE, in terms of an organisation that works in, in that whole kind of realm. Uh, and they say, Christians have been largely apathetic about or unaware of certain laws that were passed during the 50s and 60s. So this was Christians at, at the time such as the Witchcraft Act, which was repealed, and the Theatres Act abolishing censorship and other laws relating to obscenity, abortion, divorce, and human sexuality were all added to the statute book. These measures were all presented as eminently reasonable and appropriate for a modern Britain, but actually heralded as a fundamental shift in our culture. Home Secretary Roy Jenkins, he was Home Secretary from 65 to 67, who spearheaded these changes, was embracing an, agen an agenda that promised freedom from restriction and restraint in many areas of life. Many in the media hailed him as the architect of the new permissive society, which he himself declared to be the civilised society. The most immediate and visible result was the proliferation of sexual explicit material in magazines, books, films, plays and TV programmes. Pornography was freely available and there were fears that this would, co um, would coerce attitudes and affect children who were now being exposed to this material. This is why the National uh, Festival of Light initially focused on action to curb indecency and speak up for purity. Here's a historian who looked back at that time, and this is what he said. The 1960s witnessed a frenzy of legislation that effectively de-Christianised and liberalised British law and society. In a mood of depression and assailed by liberals within who argued for change, the forces of church reaction largely... Yeah, it says forces, not voices. The forces of church reaction largely fell silent during the nation's greatest moral and cultural revolution. Now that's a historian saying that, not a Christian. 
okay? Somebody who looked back and in some way, in his understanding or in his mind, understood that actually the church, the church's role is to keep a nation morally in good stead before God. The church obviously has a place, according to this historian, to be a light, to be a voice, to, to bring something different in a nation, to keep it in line with who God is and not to allow it to go down a path that God doesn't want it to go in. And so that's a bit of an indictment to the church from a historian saying that in the 60s, largely because the church did not do anything. So we live in the consequence of that now on one level and our nation is continuing on a certain path. Let's just read the next part of Romans 8, okay? This isn't as funny as Dave's message last week. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but let's, let's just have a read of this. This is why it's so, so important what Dave said last week about the church being like a flotilla and why it's so important that we are one body, one people together, submitting to God's plan and moving forward together, not primarily for ourselves first, but actually for him and his purposes first. Let's have a quick look at this. There's a couple of things that need to bring out. So in the context of honour, pray for, be a good citizen, pay your taxes, do what you need to do, all of those things that are in there, he then says here, because it, it then says, make sure there are no debts outstanding towards anyone and, and anything from your own personal life. He says here in verse 8, there's one debt though that should all, you should always have, and that is to love each other. The one who loves fulfills God's purpose for his life. For love is really the fulfillment of what God has commanded us to do. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. Do not cover other people's possessions. There is a principle that underlies all such commands and is summed up in the one command to love your neighbour as yourself. Because those who love will not want to harm their neighbours, they will obey all these other commands for the way to fulfil God's law is through love. Um, it says here, love others, your neighbour, as yourself. Now, it's, it's so important then that we love ourselves. Now, we need to just make a couple of statements in relation to that. Some people struggle to love themselves because of how they see themselves. If you struggle to forgive yourself, accept who you are, and I don't mean it just accept, oh, this is the way I am, but if you don't see who God has made you from his eyes and his standpoint, we struggle then, one, to receive from him, receive from others, but we struggle then to give and to be a, a blessing to others in one sense, even though we want to be. And the enemy wants to compound stuff and he, he loves to lie to us and tell us that we're unworthy, we're not good enough, we've made so many mistakes, there's all these regrets in our lives, all this stuff. Some of that came out at the end of the worship there. It's so important that we firstly forgive ourselves. 
If we're struggling to forgive ourselves, it's very difficult to forgive others in terms of things that happen. If we struggle to forgive ourselves and there's regret or how we see ourselves, we then look at others with the same filter as we see ourselves. And Paul says here that we're commanded to love our neighbour as ourselves. So there's a healthy way to love ourselves and to understand how does God see us? Because Jesus knew, God knew, that in and of ourselves, we're never acceptable to God and we can't make ourselves. It doesn't matter who we are. And that's why there was the need of the cross and Jesus to take every sin, every negativity, every pain, shame, regret, hurt, whatever has gone on in our lives. He took every single one of those to the cross so that we could be healed, we could be forgiven, we could be cleansed, we could be free from all of that stuff. So that we then see ourselves how God then sees us. So when God looks at you and I, he looks at us as a child of his. He looks at us washed, cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He looks at you and I and he says, you are not guilty. You are forgiven. You have been cleansed by the power of my blood. I've adopted you. The power of adoption is in the choosing. Yeah, amazing. We've been adopted into his family. He, he called us, he cho- you know, and when we respond to him, we come into that call to know him and he looks at us and he says, you're mine. And, and what does the cross do? It takes us from being unworthy to being made worthy. So when he looks at you and I, he says, you are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy to know me. I've made you acceptable before me. You can come boldly and confidently before me. And, and it's like we need to understand and that's got to be revelation into our hearts and minds because there's so much that goes on up here. But it says here, love others as you love yourself. Dave mentioned something last week about being in the flotilla. Each boat has a responsibility to keep itself healthy in that sense. Now, we also need one another to help us to stay healthy. So sometimes when we are struggling with something like the things we've just talked about, sometimes we need someone to say, hey, can you, can you just pray with me, talk with me? I wanna, I'm struggling with something in my head. I can't you know, get past this or whatever it is. And, and we can't look at one another and go, well, you should know better. You know the truth. Get on with it. What we do is we get alongside one another and we don't just put our arm around somebody either and say, well, never mind. They're there. You'll get over it. What we do is we get alongside one another and say, hey, let's walk together in this. Let's pray together. Let's have a look. What does Jesus say? How does he look at you? What does he do? So that you can have a revelation that the Holy Spirit can show you this is who you are. This is what he's done. So that you can come into the light of this, into the fullness of this, so that you can love who you are in God. None of us, how many of you love who you used to be? How many of you are glad you're not who you used to be? Right. So none of us love that. But we can love ourselves knowing the one that is in us that makes us acceptable. Right. 
He loved us to go to the cross. He loves us now. And so we walk and live in that love. And so, so, so important that because how we look after ourselves and look out for ourselves in a right way is then what the Bible is saying, how we're to look out for and love others in the same way. There is a, there is a different type of love where, where we love ourselves so much we think everybody should love me because I'm just flipping cool. Do you know what I mean? There are some people like that that go, and, and the danger with that is you then start looking down at people. Because people think whatever of themselves and therefore everybody should like me because I'm this, that and the other. I'm intelligent, I'm this, I'm that. I'm whatever people say about themselves and they think they're top dog. And they are, that's, there's a difference between loving yourself and being in love with yourself. Right? And we don't want to be in love with ourselves. But we want to love ourselves and know that in Jesus there are no regrets. Are you there? God loves to restore the years the locusts have eaten or whatever is going on. Let's just carry on for a moment. Because those who, uh, verse 10, because those who love will not want to harm their neighbours, they will obey all these other commands for, to, to fulfil God's law, which is to love. Now, imagine if we love one another in the same way that God loves us and we love ourselves, what would the world be like? Pretty awesome, eh? Part of what Dave said last week about the flotilla is the unity, the oneness. And there's power in that. And somehow in God's wisdom, in the face of a culture that's been going in a certain direction for 70, 60, 60, 60 or 70 years or so, legislated for in different ways. Somehow in God's wisdom, he wants the church to stick out like a sore thumb in a good way. To be a people that so look out for one another and love one another And then for those that come amongst them, not to judge, condemn or criticise them, that the world looks at the church and says, what a thing to be part of. What a thing to be part of. Let's just read for a minute. Verse 11. No matter what the situation, love is always to be the guiding principle by which you live. It's time to stir yourself and ensure that you do this in practice, demonstrating that you are living in the good of the salvation that God has given you. This is all commands here. The time of having to give account of yourself to God is nearer now than when you first became a believer. And we're 2,000 years on from when he wrote this. It may seem that there is so much darkness around you, listen to this, but a new dawn is about to break. Anybody else believe that? The guys we've been with the last few days, pretty much everybody you talk to there, there's this, in the the midst of all the stuff going on in our nation, so many people that we talked to had this sense of God's on the move, God's on the move, God's on the move. Something new is happening, something new is happening, something new is happening. And, you know, if you look on the outward, you say, yeah, oh yeah, I believe that when I see it. (laughs) How many of you know that's not the kingdom way? You see, why are people saying that? Because 
they're more focused on God and what he's saying and doing and then responding to that than what is going on in the world and reacting to that. And there's this sense, if, if you're listening, there's this sense of something new is happening, something fresh is happening. God's on the move. The Holy Spirit is doing it. He's speaking. He's working. He's preparing his church. He's going deeper. He's calling us to intimacy. He's preparing his bride. He's getting us ready in the face of everything going on. There's a light that needs to shine because it's been under a bushel for a long time. And God wants to remove the bushel, remove the lampstand. He wants us to come out into the open in some way. But he wants us to come out as a people who are, who are loving God, loving one another and moving in the power of who he is to see a transformation in people's lives that only God can do in the midst of everything going on. Something is about to break. The dawn is about to break. What does that mean? Light breaks the darkness. And the light that is in you is more powerful than the darkness that is around. Verse 13, if this is the case, you will have nothing to be ashamed of in the way that you behave. If we're walking in the light. Oh, sorry, I've missed the second half of verse 12. After the dawn is about to break. So be sure that you are free from any activity that belongs to the darkness. This is important. And that you are walking in the light. So why have we been, why did we have the culture of grace stuff a year ago? Why have we been running various things in the life of the church for people to just get stuff sorted in their lives? Why? Because God's called us to be a people of light. God wants us to live in freedom. He wants to live healed and whole. He wants us to be who he's called us to be with no shame, no regrets, no shadows. No shadows. So when God does something, it doesn't, it, it does not leave a shadow there. Uh, well, he's forgiven me, but you know, no, there's no shadows. Because God wants us to be confident in who we are in him. Confident coming into the lives of other people and all that he wants to do in them through us. So that none of us are looking over our shoulders because of this, that or the other. But actually there's a confidence there to bring others into all that we are living in. In this case, you will have nothing to be ashamed of in the way you behave. You will never engage in orgies and drunkenness like those who belong to the darkness. You will not be party to any form of sexual immorality or depravity. Neither will you be a person with an independent mindset or one whose life is ruined by jealousy. Dave's message last week, again, so important about the flotilla. There's, there's no independence in the flotilla where we just spin off and do our own thing. Because right. if we do that, we'll get taken out. That's right. yeah. You get deceived, yeah. uh, you get taken out, you'll get into this, that and the other, whatever. There's lots of different things. The enemy loves to take people out. And th this time is so important for people to be really glued right into the, the body. Instead, instead of all that lot, you'll radiate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, living as his witness. How much better to have this as your aim than to live to gratify your fleshly self-indulgent desires. Amen. Something that was said, I think it's in the book, but somebody said this over the last couple of days. Um, politicians, a few decades back, were part of setting the culture. Uh, this is people who work in Parliament. Now, today, they react to culture 
and make legislation according to how people want to live. Now, of course, there was an element of that going on in the late 50s and through the 60s where legislation was, was made because of the way people were living. A few years ago, finish with this, a few years ago, uh, Dave Hillier's brother, Matt, his oldest brother, uh, when him and Rowan were here, his wife were here, Matt and I do, used to do the youth stuff here together a long time ago. And we would go into schools, colleges around here, do all sorts of things uh, in terms of um, assemblies, uh, music lessons, RE lessons, uh, personal, social, health, education lessons, all sorts of things, basically just to bring the gospel in somehow, right? And um, we had a great time doing it. And there was a, one, of the, one of the sixth forms around here, um, had a, uh, they were doing a sixth form conference and they, they, I forgot the title of the conference, but it was something like Issues of Morality or something like that, uh, that they, they called it, which is an interesting title. And, and they asked us, would you guys kind of front the, the conference, you know, with this, the, the sixth formers? So we're like, yeah, all right. So we prayed into it. One of the first questions we asked them was, okay, guys, um, do you think that how you... Oh, that, that's the first question we asked them is, who makes the laws in our nation? And they'll go, well, the politicians, don't they? They all make the laws. Okay. Um, do you think that the way you live can affect the decisions they make? And they're generally like, well, they don't care about us, do they? They're not interested in us. They just make the things and we have to do whatever they say. Okay. So do you think the way that you live today can change anything? And they're like, well, of course it doesn't because we don't change anything. We're just getting on with our lives. They change everything. Okay. So then we did a little bit of a, a kind of a run through history from, from after the Second World War up to whatever year it was we were in the school. And we just went through and we said, oh, these are the different laws that have been brought into uh, place in our nation. And, and, and we showed them this was brought into place because basically this is what the people wanted. This was brought into place because this is what the people wanted. This was brought into place because this is what, and, and all the bits and pieces that went with it. And it was becoming the lifestyle of people, the way they were living. So actually the laws were made in relation to the way that people were living. And so people's lifestyle and, and life choices determined laws that then became into the nation. Yeah. And you could see some of these young people, they were like, wow, wow, you know. So, so we said, how you live affects and determines how we are as a, as a society and as a culture. And we said, how many of you like the society that we live in on the whole? And a lot of them said, on the whole, they didn't like it. It was like, right. So we said, well, you can change it. You can change it for, in a positive way or you can change it in a negative way, but you can change things. Anyway, in that context, now, we were coming from a, what would the church be like if it's really on fire? We'd get living in the way that God wants to, being the witness we want to. What would that look like in our nation? Because that's who he's called us to be. And God changes people one person at a time. One person at a time. One person at a time. Your life and my life are so important to what God wants to do for those people around us. Our witness, our lifestyle, how we are 
is so, so important to those around us. So we might live in a nation where we live according to the laws of the nation, but we don't live to the ways of the nation. We have a different spirit in us. Let's just stand together, shall we? Just see yourself standing right before the throne of God now. You're worthy. He's made you acceptable. You're a child of his. You don't even have to be invited into the throne room. You've got open access all the time. Why? Because you're a child of God. That's amazing, isn't it? The door's open all the time. The way is open. Father, I thank you that you've called us to be light to those around us, light in our nation. And Father, we sense that you are doing something new. There's something stirring in a fresh way in our nation. Father, you've called us together like that flotilla we heard about last week to move together, all different shapes and sizes, giftings, graces and anointings on our lives. I thank you that every person in this place, every life matters to what you're doing. No one's here by mistake or by accident. Somebody didn't just float into the bunch of boats, you know, by accident. There's your design, your purpose, where you say, I want you to connect into that flotilla in that place, in that town, because of what you carry and what I've put in your life and what the part I want you to play for that flotilla getting to the destination that I'm leading it to get to. So maybe firstly, just thank the Lord. Father, thank you. You placed me in this flotilla, if we can use that phrase, in this body. Now just thank him for all the giftings and graces that are on your, your life. Some of you have got the gift of hospitality. Some of you have got a gift to teach, teach the word. Some of you have got pastoral giftings in your life just to love people into f- wholeness and into the truth. There's loads of different gifts in here, creative things that God wants to bring out and release. There's evangelistic gifts in the room. There's, there's prophetic giftings in the room. There's loads of things that make up who we are as a body. Everybody has a part to play in this thing called his body. Just thank him that you're not here by accident. You're here by his design. Now, what I want you to do is get with one other person or two, if, if that's going to work better, at least one or two people, just get with... I want you to pray for one another. Okay? I want you to pray for one another. Now, if you have a particular thing you're struggling with, I want you to turn to that person, and this might be easier if it's someone you know, but if you know you're struggling with something at the moment, just tell them. 
and say, hey, I've heard what Clive said this morning and even what Dave said last week or subsequent weeks. I'm just struggling to get my head and my heart around something. Just maybe talk to that person and say, can you just pray with me? Pray with me. I, I do want a revelation. I, do, I don't want to get stuck here. I want to move forward. Just pray for one another. Minister to one another. If you get a word for someone, encourage them with that word. Okay? Just encourage them with the word and in that. Just minister to each other for the next few minutes. Okay? So get into groups or, or get with one other person or two people if, if that's the scenario you're in. So no one's left out. Okay? If you've come as a group of four, maybe pray as a group of four. But just pray for one another. Minister to one another. Love one another now. Build each other up in the next few minutes. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.